So let the math phobia go and know that if you want to get into statistics, there's a way to get into it and sidestep all of the arithmetic and let the computer do it. And what you're focusing on is what is your research question? You're listening to Dr. Hirsch Knapp, a researcher who has written several textbooks on statistics. If you have a fear of math and statistics, but you know it is important for your work and you need it to know it for your job promotion, then listen on to learn five statistics commonly used in public health and in healthcare. At the end of this episode, you'll have a better sense of why statistics is important and you'll be able to read statistics with confidence. Hello, friends. This is the What is Public Health podcast with your host, Dr. Ki Chan. What is public health? To me, public health is the invisible force that keeps you healthy every day, and I bet you didn't even know it. This podcast is your source of the latest trend in public health. Hello, Dr. Knapp. Um, let's share with our listeners, like, how did we meet? We met when I was working at the VA here in Los Angeles, at the Greater Los Angeles VA. I was on a team that was doing some research focused on increasing HIV diagnostic testing throughout the VA, and ultimately it, it basically tripled HIV diagnostic testing. And you and I met, I believe you were living in Boston at the time, and we had oh, a yeah. Yeah, I was living in Boston then. Mm -hmm. Right. And we needed a cost analyst to tear into our data and find out what is this costing by doing this and what are the costs of uh, what are the cost savings. And I recognized that you had some really sharp talents in health cost analysis that I could use in some of my other research. And from there, we started collaborating on papers and just working together. I think uh, we finally met shortly thereafter. I think there, you either had a trip out to L.A. or maybe I, I know I was in Boston doing some research. Or, but uh, we did finally meet in person. And uh, I think the collaboration has just kept moving forward. I would love for the audience to learn more about your career path. It's very interesting, like how um, your work from your training led you to your work at the VA and also to your current position, and also that you're a textbook writer too. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, I didn't begin in behavioral science. I was always intrigued by behavioral science and academic. I worked on my bachelor's in psychology at uh, California State University, Northridge. But as an undergrad, there's kind of no job for a psychology major. But my interests were in computers, so I worked in aerospace industry for many years and ultimately made the leap into mental health. I started working at Crisis Intervention Helpline and started loving that more than my day job. So I made the transition from the master's to the doctorate and found that my computer work was really valuable in analyzing data and coming up with ways of teaching statistics in ways that normally a mathematician would have the approach, but what if somebody from a different field like mental health went into statistics and we just want to get the answers out of the data. We don't want to deconstruct the formulas. And so I came up with a very applied approach to doing that that doesn't require a lot of mathematical thinking. Uh, we'd let the computer do all that work now. Instead, we need to just understand which statistic we should reach for and from there, we let the computer do all the hard calculations for us. Uh, in terms of getting to the first textbook, my first textbook was based on the work that I did in the uh, crisis intervention helpline. We had a wonderful training at CSUN, Cal State Northridge, where for 90 minutes we would have lecture 
on what is an open-ended question and what is rapport and so forth. And then we take a break. And then from there, we would go into a separate room in smaller groups, turn our back on the trainer because on the telephone, you don't have any visual cues. And then we would get practice taking these phone calls and getting constructive feedback. And I was absolutely intrigued by these skills. And I wanted a book that had a comprehensive list of these skills. And I couldn't find a good one out there. So I just made one. And I didn't know anything about publishing a textbook or how to go about the process. And I basically wrote the whole manuscript and started shopping that around to publishers. And I was very fortunate that within a week, I got a call back from a representative at Sage Publications, who I still work with. And basically, he said, this has to be a book. And guided me through the process. And uh, from there, I've been very fortunate to have the opportunity to, to write uh, another clinical textbook. And the rest are all statistical textbooks that start with the understanding that this is your first experience with statistics and you don't want to be a mathematician. You want to get the data in and you want to get the answer out. You want to turn that answer into words. And a colleague that, uh, that uh, Dr. Chan, that you and I worked with, a wonderful biostatistician who likes to remain anonymous, once gave me the best definition I've ever heard of statistics. It was in the midst of a meeting and she said, I just want the numbers to tell me a story. And I've never heard it put more elegantly than that, that there is a story buried in the numbers. And by putting those numbers through the right statistics and looking at the results, the answers start to emerge. And we know if something's working and we know what it's doing. And there we have our results. Wow, Dr. Nav, that's a really great way of describing the benefits of understanding statistics. I think a lot of people shy away from statistics. And I want to ask if you can speak about like, what is it, is it about fear or the math or the pain about math, drive people away from using statistics. And just as your colleague said that, you know, why don't we look at statistics as a way to do storytelling with the numbers? What are the numbers telling us? So I'd love to hear, you know, based on your experience with teaching and in research, why do people shy away and what can we do about that? Well, I think most people aren't mathematical in their thinking. We converse along verbal storylines that aren't really numerical. So I think when you put someone in a math class, you're asking them to do something that they don't normally do. Also, it's natural that some people have a math aptitude, some people don't. Uh, in the same way that some people have a great musical aptitude. There's other people that you could put them in music lessons and they can play the notes, but it may never really be music. So I think there's that also. Also, and this is no insult to math teachers, I think overall, every teacher I've ever had has known their subject, but only some of them are really good at conveying it. And in a math class, it can be a little discouraging because unlike in a creative writing class where there's lots of right answers, in math, there's only one right answer. And if you're not hitting those right answers consistently, it can get discouraging. And then further, a math class is a progressive class. And if you didn't understand what was going on in chapter two, chapter three is going to be pretty dark. And by the time we get to chapter four, you can find yourself really lost. And we're not motivated to throw ourselves more at a class that we're struggling with. We tend to gravitate more to the classes and the education that we get. 
And so this can lead, I think this can lead to a math phobia where this cumulative, it's not working for me attitude can emerge. And I, I think that's where people get an attitude that higher math is just kind of not for them. But as it works out, statistics has become something that is, I think, the least mathy math there is. Uh, because by now we have computers that will grind out all of the arithmetic for you. And so it's entirely likely that you may never even see the equation that's going on. But if you understand the rationale of what the statistic is doing and what the result is going to mean, you can partner with the computer, put your raw data in and get an answer out that makes sense that you can actually write about and understand. Thank you for sharing that, Dr. Knapp. And I what you just shared is that I think a lot of people blame themselves for not being good at math, and so they just give up. But what you just shared is that there could be many different reasons and that there are probably ways that people can improve and enjoy the storytelling of using math. And although there's you know, like a lot of technologies out there, for example, like you said, Excel, a lot of apps on your phone that can quickly calculate the statistics chart for you, uh, why do people still need to understand how to read statistics? And why should why is that important to people? Shouldn't they just trust what the app says or what their doctor says or what's on the news? Well, that's that's a good question. Uh, secondhand news, especially these days, is essentially you depending on someone else's determinations and their interpretations of what the numbers are telling them. And they're drawing conclusions for you. But by understanding statistics, this enables you to better understand the results in your own way and to draw your own conclusions and determine, does this really, really mean something? For instance, suppose we had something like a research study on relaxation or meditation, and the paper publishes that uh, there's, a statistically, uh, there's a statistically significant drop in pulse rate for people who uh, engage in this particular type of meditation. Now, it may be that the statistics are correct, that we are seeing a substantial or what we call the statistically significant drop in pulse rate. Uh, if you tear into the data and you actually look at the data, you may see that the pulse rate may be reduced from say 85 to 83. Although you may see that whoever's reporting this says that there was a statistically significant reduction in the pulse rate for those people who partake in meditation. If you were to look at the data itself and make up your own mind, you may see that the reduction was just from a pulse rate of 85 down to 83. And the equations may be telling you this is a statistically significant difference, which is a big thing we're looking for in statistics. But in real life, that two-point drop in pulse rate is incidental in real life. And so by looking at the data itself, you can decide for yourself, 
does this really make a difference to you? Uh, for instance, what if a drug came out that said uh, this lowers pulse rate by two points or this significantly reduces pulse rate? You'd be looking at other things like, well, what's the cost of this new drug? Does my insurance cover it? What are the side effects? What are the dosages? I mean, right now, maybe I'm taking one pill a day and it has no side effects, but you know, who knows? Maybe this other drug is five times a day injectable. I mean, who wants that? So the statistics are one thing, but we need to look beyond that and think a little bit more broadly. And I think as we've seen, there's no one news in the news these days. There is considerable bias. There are reporters who want us to know one thing and other reporters who want us to know another thing. I think now more than ever, the more we understand, the better decisions we can make instead of just buying off the next thing that's said to us. And that's so true that a lot of information that's presented to us may have a very biased view and also the statistics may be supporting that biased view. So audience, I think it's so important that you know how to read statistics and have confidence that it's not just about reading the numbers, it's really about seeing the meaning behind that number. Like exactly what you said is that, you know, the decrease in that pulse rate, you know, did it really make sense practically? So now that I think everyone who's listening, hopefully you're excited about the math and learning about the math so that you can read with confidence what you see on the news, what you listen to. What are some ways to conquer these fear about math? Because I think even though we're excited about it, maybe there's a little bit of fear within us. Like, I don't know if I can do this or what if I do the statistics incorrectly? What, am I, what if I'm not interpreting it correctly? So from your teaching experience, Dr. Knapp, um, what can you share with us? Well, one of the things I can share with you is primarily I've been assigned to teach students from behavioral science. So these are not mathematicians. They're bright people, but math is not their cup of tea. And I found a teaching method that really works is teaching it the way I wish I was taught statistics. Uh, I had to sit through classes where the instructor just puts formula after formula on the board and we just would tell them, look, we just want to get the data in and out of the computer and understand it. We don't want to be mathematicians. And they just kind of didn't listen. But my approach is more along the lines of when you have data like this, you choose this statistic, load the data into the computer in this way. And when I say load the data, typically it looks like an Excel spreadsheet. So it's very visual and you don't have to become much of a programmer. Almost all of this software is run from pull down menus that are just friendly and easy to use. And the reports come out really clean. Now it won't write your results for you. It won't write a, a story for you, but you can be directed at, you know, yeah, here's pages and pages of output, but here's the only the three numbers that we really want to look at and the story emerges from there. So it's a matter of having good instruction that teases out all of the equations and just lets the computer concentrate on the arithmetic and you can concentrate on what's the right statistic to pull. What's the right statistic to load for this? And to know how to interpret the results. And it's hard to teach that over a podcast, but it's very usable if you go about it the right way. The other thing to understand is even the stuff that's going on under the hood of the computer, it's essentially algebra. There's no calculus involved in any of the statistics that I've ever worked with uh, there may be something I just don't know about, but uh, we don't solve these equations by hand anymore. 
So we don't really see the math. It's it's a tricky thing. You'd think that statistics is this higher math, and it is, but it's so repetitive that it's better if the computer does it for you. The computer is faster and more accurate. And if you can learn how to select the correct statistic, the right test, you're halfway there. I like the I like the step-by-step approach that you just shared is that it's not about memorizing all these mathematical formulas and it's not about you know becoming this uh, mathematical genius it's really about understanding the importance of statistics and using computers and statistical program to guide us in making these um, right choices. So I think that's uh, very important. And what you just said about selecting the right test to do these statistics. For our listeners who are now hopefully excited and now see that there is really no fear about statistics, I would love if you could share, give us some tips on statistics, um, like maybe a little mini um, education about statistics um, to our audience who are now perhaps excited or a little bit less scared about statistics, is can you share maybe five important statistics that are commonly misused and why? And what's the correct way to use them? Well, absolutely. And uh, the listeners aren't completely vague to statistics. It's People know statistics already. Some very clear statistics would be something like descriptive statistics, which is a set of statistics that summarizes what's in a variable. There I go. I'm using some terminology. But for instance, age would be a variable. There we go. And if we wanted to know the average age, that's a statistic. That's a continuous statistic that we would use. It's called the summary statistic. And the idea there is we shouldn't have to look down hundreds of pages of ages to try to get an image of, well, what's the average age? We can have the computer produce that for us. And that would be referred to as the mean. I don't know why statisticians thought they needed an extra word or a synonym for average, but average is mean, mean is average, same thing. Another statistic that people are probably already familiar with would be a categorical descriptive statistic. And this would be something like gender. And it would answer the question, how many males and females do we have in our group? And we could get that by either a head count or a percentage. And everyone would already understand that. And there's way more descriptive statistics. There's a handful of descriptive statistics for each kind of variable, uh, categorical or continuous. So categorical would be what category are they in gender? The values be male, female, or not stated or other. Uh, age is pretty straightforward. That's a continuous variable, numbers that just continue along a a number line or a number that you would put into a calculator. That's a continuous variable. Uh, I've also done something in the, in the, I've also done something in the statistics book to make it even more comprehensible. There's a function uh, in descriptive statistics. One of the descriptive statistics is standard deviation. And it tells you how much variation you have within a variable. So for instance, age, if everyone's about the same age, it'll produce a very low standard deviation. But if we have everything from infants to geriatric population, it'll produce a much larger standard deviation. And originally in the first draft of my textbook, I put the equation in there, which is full of Greek letters and it's really nauseating to look at. In the second edition, I put a drawing in there. And over on the left, we have three people who are about the same height. 
and that produces a low standard deviation. And then over on the right, we have people of very different heights. We have a little girl and next to her is a big, tall basketball player. And then we have another person who's about average height. And that produces a much larger standard deviation, signifying that we have a lot more variety in heights than we did in the other group. And so this is kind of a flavor of how I like to approach statistics in a very applied way and get away from the equations, which are going to take place in the darkness of the computer. It's just going to hand us the answers. Uh, another common statistic that we hear about, but we don't even know we're hearing about, is a t-test. And a t-test compares two groups to each other. So suppose you want to see if uh, a crop growth uh, uh, chemical is going to be effective in, in making more corn emerge from a row of corn. Uh, you could have a control group that has no special treatment and you'd have a treatment group that gets chemical A. And from there, we can measure the heights of the corn stalks that are emerging. And we can then run a t-test. It'll tell us if one group in terms of height is statistically significantly outperforming the other. And then the other alternative there is we have this other statistic called ANOVA. It's sounds like an old car, but it's actually an acronym, stands for analysis of variance, and that's as much as I want to say about that. But people make a big deal out of ANOVA. All it is, it's a three-group T-test. Maybe we have a third row of corn that we're going to plant and treat with chemical B, and we'll see how all of the different pairs of groups compare against each other. And you could have four or five or six, as many groups as you want. So if you understand the T-test, you're 90% there to understanding ANOVA and the versatility of the designs that you could get out of that. Uh, another common statistic is the paired t-test. And this is typically set up when you have what we call an OXO design, an observation, then a treatment, and then another observation or a pre-test, post-test design. So this would be something like, suppose you want to check out the effectiveness of a new form of sports coaching. And maybe you'd have your bowler bowl one game and the coach just watches and says nothing. And then after that game, the coach gives some guidance, some customized instructions and tips and explains how to be a better bowler and how to not do some of the mistakes that you're making. And then we have the bowler go up and bowl game number two. So that's the post-test. And if we do this for about 20 bowlers, we have pairs of scores. And the paired t-test will tell you, are they doing better on the post-test, the second game, than the first game? And if they do, this is starting to suggest that that form of coaching is effective. Uh, another statistic that we see is uh, that's very commonly used is called the Pearson correlation or regression calculation. And this can actually compare apples to oranges. We could ask a question like, is there a relationship between how much money you have and how happy you are? So we could gather, say, tax return data and then administer something like the Acme happiness scale. So now we have two scores for every person. We may find out that people who are richer are happier. So this would be a positive correlation. 
because the metrics go in the same direction. Money goes up, happiness goes up. But what if we find a negative correlation that as money goes up, happiness goes down? So that would be a negative correlation. Or we may find that there's no correlation, that rich people are just as happy and unhappy as people who are uh, impoverished, just don't have a whole lot of money. So these are some of the very real world kinds of statistics that are run all the time. Thank you so much, Dr. Neff, for sharing with us these different statistics and that we and that to let the audience know that that they probably already use statistics like in their day-to-day life, like the average age. You, know, you can look at what's the average age um, in my in my class or what is you know, what's the um, proportion of male and female in this particular event. And so I think you sharing that in the very beginning helps the audience and all the listeners out there see that statistics is not something very different field of work, but it's already ingrained in our day-to-day life. It's just that I think there's just, just this, negative, this negative view about it. And thank you so much for sharing five tips um, related to descriptive statistics, the T-test, the ANOVA, the pair T-test, the Pearson correlation. Um, thank you so much for sharing these. So we really appreciate your time with us and that you share such great information about statistics and how to conquer these fear. You know, some questions that I like to ask my um, guests is, you know, what are some things you know now that you didn't know then? Sure. I think the big thing that I've learned from uh, learning and teaching statistics is that selecting the right statistic is half the battle. Once you've decided which one you're reaching for, the rest is in any good book that would just step you through how to load the data and how to order the test and essentially how to interpret the key findings that are coming out in the results report. Once again, the computer's your friend. It's going to do all the grungy hard work for you that you don't want to do. The other big thing that I've learned is that if you know the design and you know the types of variables you have, and there's only two types of variables, then that's enough to select the appropriate statistic. And I don't remember anyone ever saying that, and I don't remember ever reading that in any book. So the design comes down to uh, what do we have here? Do we have a control group and a treatment group, or maybe this is a two-group design, or maybe this is a one-group design and like the bowling experiment, like uh, we're going to have each person do the bowling twice with some training in between, and that would be a pre-test, post-test design. Uh, The two types of variables are continuous variables, which are just regular counting numbers that we're already used to, one, two, three, four, and so on, or fractions. And then there's categorical variables, like handedness would have three values. They could choose left-handed, right-handed, or ambidextrous, or like voter status, uh, voted or didn't vote in the last election. If you know the design and you know the variables involved, you know enough to select the correct statistic. And from there, it's downhill. You just follow the directions and interpret the data as it's coming out. There's just so much rich information that you shared today and those tips about statistics and that what you learned, what you know now that you didn't know then can really help guide our listeners to know that, that learning is a life 
long process. All love, you know, as we're coming to a close, like what is one golden nugget advice you can leave with our listeners? I think the best thing I could tell you is that fear that you have of statistics or that bad math class or the bad math teacher that you didn't get along with, find a way to let all that go. And I know as a mental health care professional, that's a tolerated to tell someone to not be afraid. But if you can find a way to step over that, and my promise to you would be is if you use the right software, you're not going to be doing math. You're going to be doing statistics, which is putting the raw data in, letting the computer do all that nasty math homework for you very reliably and very quickly. And you're going to interpret what the solution is. Uh, I'm very pleased to say that in getting that standard deviation equation out of the textbook and replacing it with the picture, I have an intermediate textbook that takes you pretty far along the way that would pretty much get you through just about any master's or doctoral uh, education pathway. There's no equations. There's a couple of simple equations that I provide, like delta percent, but these are equations. But these are equations that are so simple that they can literally be done on your cell phone calculator. They don't require anything special. So let the math phobia go and know that if you want to get into statistics, there's a way to get into it and sidestep all of the arithmetic and let the computer do it. And what you're focusing on is what is your research question? What is your design what are the variables? What types of variables do you have? You need to select the correct statistic, load it and run it the way the book tells you to, and interpret the outcome as it's coming out. If you can leave the phobia and the fear that you're running into another nasty math class, if you can leave that behind, I think statistics is absolutely within reach for you. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. And if you, and if you could share the information about the textbook title, I'll share it on our show notes so our audience could check out your books. It's great to be able to hear your perspectives on statistics and that it's okay that we've had that experience in math and that also that you share in the beginning that you know, it, was, it was also that your own experience too with math led you to a journey to say, how can I teach math the way that I wish I was taught? So thank you so much for sharing. And I think the audience will just love to hear what are you up to now? Like um, doing more math, doing more statistics? Just if you could just share with us what you're up to now. Sure. So these days I'm still teaching part-time at university, uh, which is an absolute pleasure. Pleasure. I'm teaching an undergrad class this semester, which I haven't taught an undergrad class in over 20 years. And it's just a pleasure to work with students. Usually I get called in to teach master's courses in research methodology or statistics, but uh, this is just a joy. I'm also, my, my full-time job is I work uh, for a large hospital system and I'm the lead for the nursing research mentorship program and the nursing research fellowship program. And these programs involved a lot of what we're talking about today. I teach the research methodology to nurses who are interested in becoming health science researchers. And when they have their data at the end of their investigations that they carry out, it's time to analyze it and find out what secret is hidden in the numbers. And from there, they can produce their results section, publish their papers, present at conferences, and learn what they need to know to carry on other research. So the nurses derive the project, and I travel down the project with them in weekly meetings 
to guide them through the process. And it's it's a magnificent thing. There's no one who knows more about what's going on in a hospital or has more direct care hours and, and closeness with the patients to know what do they need more than anything. And so by putting this layer of research on top of their schoolroom education and their clinical experience is just the right place for all this to be happening. And I think this is the thing that's going to propel quality healthcare forward from here on out. Wow, it's wonderful to hear all the different projects and the impact that you're making, Dr. Nath, from doing the res- um, leading the nursing research mentor program, doing research, and sharing your knowledge in the world through teaching and writing these textbooks. As we we're closing our closing out our podcast, if listeners want to reach out to you, what's the best way? And if you can just share some of the the name of the textbook that you've already written or in progress, I'll be sure to post those links so that the audience goes straight to that and learn more about these material. Oh, absolutely. Uh, My latest textbook is the most comprehensive one. It's Intermediate Statistics Using SPSS, and that's by Sage Publications. And this starts at the very beginning. It assumes no statistical experience, and it's written from the standpoint of a non-mathematician, which is what I am. I understand math, but I would never say I'm a mathematician. It's in plain English. It's friendly. And if you have a design and the variables, then you're ready to go with statistics. And it explains that when you have data like this, use this. It comes with tutorial videos, practice exercises with prepared data sets, solutions. Uh, This has been found to be useful for self-study. Let me say that again. Uh, Instructors have found this useful in classes for self-study and independent study work. Uh, And it's all about turning a matrix of numbers into a concise story. And unlike other textbooks, that's the last question in each of the exercises is to write a 200-word abstract detailing what was the result here, what was studied, what was the outcome. And until you can make that leap from turning the numbers into words, you're not all the way there yet. I had statistics classes where that wasn't really part of it. And I would run these statistics and turn in the paper and I didn't know what these numbers were, what they meant. Uh, That's not my approach. It's not done until you can translate what the numbers are saying and the results to a real story. And I agree with that, that that it's just not about just the formulas and plugging it in, although we can have computers to do that. It's really about telling the story behind the numbers. And thank you so much for spending your time with us today. Oh, is there, what's the best way for um, listeners to reach out to you? Website, email, um, can I share that? Absolutely. If anyone wants to get in touch with me, email is my best way to go. Uh, H-K-N-A-P-P at ucla.edu. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Knapp, for spending your time with us today. And is there any other questions that you like to, um, that I haven't asked or any other um, information you'd like to share before we log off? Well, I hope we can do this again sometime. Oh, thank you so much. I was going to take you up on that then, Dr. Knapp. (laughs) (laughs) My pleasure. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you. Hello, friends. I hope you got some good tips on using statistics and conquered your fear of statistics. This episode covered five common statistics. Descriptive statistic, the t-test, ANOVA, pair t-test, and correlation. 
If you're interested in learning more about statistics and checking out a textbook that's written for people who are interested in statistics but don't necessarily want to know all the formulas and all the theories behind statistics, but you just want to get to the application of statistics, definitely check out Dr. Hirsch Snap's textbook. He written it in a way how he wanted statistics to be taught to him. So it's very user-friendly and you can check out the link in the show notes to learn more. If you got questions about any of the episodes, feel free to reach out to me directly. And while you're there at it, please subscribe to the podcast and share the episode that you felt connected with so that we could be a part of this collective invisible force called public health. Thanks.